Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. See, some of y'all just messed up and walked right into a Pentecostal church and didn't even know it. Yeah, 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 y'all thought this was a self-help seminar. I got news for you. The Holy Spirit is here. Hallelujah. I just got a word. We feel like somebody, I think it was Tina, since somebody's being uh, healed from cancer right now. I don't even know who's got cancer in the house, but God does. Father, we accept that right now. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would set them free Heal them and deliver them in the name of Jesus. You know them by name. Cancer's not... Hey, God, cancer's scared of you. Cancer's scared of you. We may be scared of cancer, but cancer's scared of you. And I just pray you'd bring healing right now. I pray you'd seal that in somebody's life. And whoever that is, I pray that even right now, regardless of what the doctors have said, that faith would rise up in them and they would get that healing that is theirs. It's theirs. We claim it in the name of Jesus. And everybody believes God's stronger than cancer? Said amen. amen. I thought y'all might believe that. I thought I was in a church where people believe that. I just thought I might have stumbled into a passion church where somebody believed. Thank you, Jesus. Woo. I'm going to pray that God will let it rain every day. Y'all just came to worship. I don't know what's wrong with y'all today. Y'all just came in here all crazy, and y'all just slept in late. Y'all are the early crowd and just slept in and got a little extra sleep, right? That's why y'all all crazy this morning. Well, we're glad you brought your crazy self to church, amen? Yeah, it's good to come into the house of the Lord and worship. Amen. I know it's sleeping weather. All you need right now to sleep is like a tin roof and a water cooler and an open window. Y'all don't even, some of y'all, how many of you know what a water cooler actually is? All right, the rest of y'all young folks are just too young to understand what sleeping under a water cooler is like unless you have allergies and then you don't want to go back there. Right, well, it's good to have you with us. We've got some special folks in the house. We don't do this very often, but let me just uh, make mention of a couple. We have the awakening team here this morning. We're glad they're here group of young people from all over the nation, California, North Carolina, some other places I don't even know about. They've been doing mission trips, and some of our folks helped them with that, Seth and Madeline and others, and it's been great, and they're doing some great things, and we're glad y'all are here this morning. They came to worship with us, and we're delighted to have you. Also with us this morning, I'm going to give him just a couple of minutes here. He wants to speak to you and say some things to you. Dr. Frank Tunstall, our bishop from this conference that we're a part of, he's here this morning to greet you, and we want to give honor where honor is due. You just need to understand, if you don't know the history of our church, you just need to understand, if it wasn't for Dr. Tunstall, you wouldn't be in this building with the AC on and the lights on right now. He helped us get here, and we appreciate that, but he's got something special he wants to share with you. So, Dr. Tunstall, if you'd come and address the folks. Wow, thank you very much, and I celebrate the presence of the Lord here today, don't you? I know you do. I've come to say thank you to you as a congregation. That's my mission today. We've gone through a terrible crisis here in the metro, 
uh, two EF5s and all of the damage that went with that and all of the heartache that went with that. Uh, I'm thrilled to be a part of a family, a church that responded admirably to it. Uh, that mobile kitchen feeding 30,000 meals didn't cost anybody a penny. Another of our churches added another 5,000. Uh, a lot of things came together. But one of the things that stands out about this whole situation has been the way our people across the conference responded in volunteerism. And especially was that true here in this church. And I've come to say thank you today. I thank you for the way you were there, all the time you were there. Uh, no church in the Heartland Conference gave any more, was there more, more faithfully than Passion Church. And I want to say thank you. Now, I know you couldn't have done it, except you have a pastor that has that kind of burden and vision. I know that. I want you to thank him, would you? Amen. People follow leaders, and I know that. So, Pastor Steve, I salute you today and the way you're training this congregation. You must be very proud of them, too. I know you are. So, thank you very much, and please, don't ever lose that heart. Don't ever lose that spirit. Just let it keep growing. Let it keep expanding and reaching out and serving community and helping hurting people. We want to take our benevolence ministry to a new level. Pastor Steve is leading the way in that, and we are backing him. And more news, I'm sure, will be following in due time on that. But I thank you, and God bless you. We are trying to do some things. Uh, you just need to stay tuned. We're looking for a mobile feeding kitchen of our own that we can mobilize at a heartbeat notice and get out there where people are hurting, and we're going to keep you posted on that. But you need to pray we can get that thing and get it rolling. Amen. If you'd like to be involved in that, wave at them, Jesse. Just see Miss Jesse, Sergeant Jesse there. Uh, <laughs> I'm, de I'm dead after this is over. <laughs> she will put you in the right place to do the right thing, I promise. And uh, she spearheaded a lot of this, and it's just we're putting a benevolence team, a, a mobile um, disaster relief team together, and so we're excited. Well, we've been in this new series, and so for uh, some of you that hadn't had church yet, I did this last week. I'm going to do it again. It, it, maybe you didn't know one song we sang, and you're like, I don't know if I'm having church or not. You will here in just a second. Watch this, see if this will help you.
All right, those of you that had lighters when we went to that, we need to talk right after service. Uh, y'all are in trouble. I'm in a mood. It's, it's a single that the Beatles released in August of 1968, which happens to be the best month, best year of the entire known history of man. Never mind. That's my birthday month and year. So anyway, the song, is, this song that uh, the Beatles did was more than seven minutes long, and it spent nine weeks on the, at number one in the United States. And frequently this song, like I told you last week, this song is included in the best all-time songs ever written list uh, that goes right here for me but but anyway uh it's there it lists there and for some reason that course the na 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 it's so profound and deeply moving that it remains locked in our subconscious i don't get that but it does and so it's made jude famous and so what we did is last week we began examination of another single it's a single self-titled chapter in the book of the bible that seems to fall unnoticed and I told you why I think it falls unnoticed I think it falls unnoticed because Jude precedes the book of Revelation and so we're so captured by the concept of what is going to happen that we just skip right over Jude and go to Revelation because that's kind of the cool thing to do the only problem with that is Revelation talks about what's going to happen and Jude discusses what's happening right now and if we're not careful we pass over what's happening right now thinking about what's going to happen and we fail to recognize and get the truth that God has for us in the situation and the day that we're living now so we began this examination of Jude the brother of James and very likely the brother of Jesus and he speaks to us about what's going on in our world right stinking now and he reveals for us the four attacks that the enemy wants to use to try to defeat us he's addressing the church of his day he's addressing the Christians of his day but in doing so he reveals to us what the enemy how many of y'all know you can't teach an old dog new tricks the devil's just an old dog doesn't have anything new he just candy coats it different ways same exact attacks and so he tries to show us what those attacks are going to be he says the devil will try to bring in deception the second one is that he will bring in distraction the third one is he will bring in division and then fourth he will try to use discouragement and so last week we talked about deception and I told you that Jude reveals to us two ways that the enemy tries to deceive us the first one is Jude says that the devil will try to deceive you into license it's the way of Cain it is the way that he tries to get us to accept license, where license overrides any standards. He does it like this. He tries to deceive us into believing that there are no absolutes, that man is a God in and of himself, that he's like Cain. He can make any sacrifice he wants to make, and God has to adjust to Cain rather than Cain adjusting to God. I'm just in my introduction, but I already started preaching because some of us want God to fit our pattern and God to fit our means and God to fit our standards as long as it feels good it's got to be God so God if it feels good to me you're just going to have to adjust the fact that you said it was sin because it feels good to me and Jude says you can't fall into deception and believe that God will accept license where you can do anything you want to do anybody still here this morning I heard you shouting a while ago he says if you're not careful what will happen is you'll become like a, a modern day Sodom and Gomorrah hello anybody home welcome to America right now Sodom and Gomorrah that's where we're living right now and Jude says is if you're not careful you will accept that and say God you're just gonna have to give us grace 
but we're still going to do what we want to do. No, 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 no. And then he says this. He says, if you're not careful, when you accept license, the next level of that, the second scheme he uses is he tries to get you to buy into and embrace the concept of tolerance and inclusion. And I told you last week, I'm tired of tolerance because the only people that scream about tolerance are the people that are intolerant. Anytime we try to apply the biblical standard of what God says is true and what God says is right, then the the tolerant people begin to scream and say, y'all are bigots. No, we're not. We just believe what God says. Sorry, we got a different standard than what you've got. You, you're never going to get us to adjust our standard because we don't base our standard on what man says. We base our standard on what God said. And if he said it, I believe it. And even though I may not like it, I will adjust. I will not try to buy into this concept of tolerance. If y'all weren't here, watch the video. It's online. I said it straight up, straight out. No hold barred. So if you need to go listen, go listen. But Jude says there's this dilemma. The, the, the dilemma is, is that how many of you know that there are a lot of folks, I know the media doesn't portray it this way. They're trying to convince us that our entire nation has shifted into this tolerance mode. They're lying, by the way, because I just believe there are still some Bible-believing, blood-bought folks that are not willing to lay down the standard that God has set. So the enemy knows that. So he knows that he can't deceive us. There are some folks that still cannot be deceived and won't be deceived. And the enemy knows that. So the next step, the next tactic he begins to use since he can't deceive us is he knows if he can't deceive us, then his next best option is to distract us distract us distract us see a lot of us that are on guard against deception fall victim to distraction let's see what Jude says Jude verse 5 through 13 listen carefully he says this he says I'm laying this out as clearly as I can even though you once knew all this well enough and shouldn't need reminding here it is in brief the master saved a people out of the land of Egypt and later he destroyed those who defected And you know the story of the angels who did not stick to their post, abandoning it for other darker missions. But they are now chained and jailed in a black hole until the great judgment day. Sodom and Gomorrah, which went to sexual rack and ruin, along with the surrounding cities that acted just like them, are another example. Burning and burning and never burning up. They serve still as a stock warning. This is exactly the same program of these latest infiltrators, dirty sex, rule and rulers thrown out, glory dragged in the mud. The archangel Michael, who went to the mat with the devil as they fought over the body of Moses, wouldn't have dared level with him a blasphemous curse, but simply said, no you don't, God will take care of you. But these people sneer at anything they can't understand, and by doing whatever they feel like doing, living by animal instinct only they they participate in their own destruction i'm fed up with them i love that i I just kind of like that little statement right there They, they they've gone down cain's road they've been sucked into balaam's air by greed they're canceled out in korah's rebellion these people are warts on your love feasts as you worship and eat together they're giving you a black eye carousing shamelessly grabbing anything that isn't nailed down their puffs of smoke pushed by gusts of wind late autumn trees stripped clean of leaf and fruit doubly dead pulled up by the roots (laughs) wild ocean waves leaving nothing on the beach but the foam of their shame lost stars in outer space on their way to the black hole wow 
It's brutal. But it's relevant. Jude not only addresses deception, he takes on distraction. He does it in an interesting manner to me. He references two Old Testament accounts that speak to the concept of being distracted. The first one is he says this. You remember the angels, the angels that were created by God, that, that he set in place to glorify him and to carry out his bidding. Those angels, he says, those angels become so distracted by their own pride and by their own lust that they literally leave their post and choose to go to darker missions. They are distracted to their own destruction. Oh, some of y'all missed that, but, but, but Jude lays, him out, lays them out there and says, you've got to be on guard because if you're not going, if angels can be deceived into distraction, guess what can happen to you? Uh, if the angels that have seen the very glory of God face to face, been in the presence of God himself, they become distracted and they lose everything. But then he goes on and he references a story. It's the story of Balaam. Balaam is an interesting account in the Old Testament. If you'd like to take the time to do your homework, you can go back to Numbers chapter 22 and 23 and 24 and 25 and read the story of Balaam. I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. Just hit the high points and let you remember what happened. Some of you remember his story. Balaam was a prophet. Balaam lived in an area where... Uh, a kingdom by the name of uh, Moab was in control. This was that was the governmental control, the nation that was in control. And the children of Israel have escaped Egypt, and they're on their way to the Promised Land, and they're about to t to march into possession of Canaan. And they're going through that area, and the king of Moab, his name was Balak, King Balak. He seeks out Balaam, and he says to Balaam, "What I need you to do." is since you're a prophet, I want to hire you and have you come out and prophesy a curse over the children of Israel so that they will not get to their promised land. Five times Balaam is approached and said, we will give you gold if you will prophesy against the children of Israel. And the interesting thing to me is that Balaam actually wanted to prophesy against the children of Israel. He, you need to go back and read it. He desired to preach for prophet rather than to preach as a prophet. That was free. Um, he, he was intrigued by the gold and actually desired to prophesy against the children of Israel. And yet every time God rebukes him. In fact, the interesting me, the one to me is... God rebukes Balaam through his donkey. Yeah, anybody know? Okay, I, I'm not making this stuff up. You ought to go read it. It's interesting. Balaam is on his way to prophesy against the children of Israel, and the, his, his tried and true donkey, three different occasions, one time he, he's driving down the path, and all of a sudden he diverts and goes a different direction, and Balaam gets off and beats the living dog out of his donkey. I mean, he beats him. Why are you doing it? gets back on him, tries to go down the path again. The, the, the donkey crushes his foot up against the wall because he won't go any further. He dismounts, beats the donkey again, gets back on, starts down the path, and third time the donkey literally lays down under him. Balaam gets off and starts beating him, and the donkey talks to him. Now, right there, I think I would figure something was up, but Balaam, I don't know if this was just common, ordinary day stuff for him. I don't know, but that Balaam carries on a conversation with his donkey. And his donkey says, why are you beating me? 
Because I've been faithful to you all these years. I've never treated you like this before. I haven't. Balaam says no. And the donkey says, look ahead. And he looks ahead, and there's an angel of the Lord there with his sword drawn. And the angel of the Lord says, why are you beating your donkey? If it wasn't for your donkey diverting three times, I would have already killed you. And I wouldn't have killed the donkey because that's a good donkey, but I'm about to kill you. Yeah. And so he's diverted. Just a reminder, by the way, this one's free too. I just want to remind you this morning that when God wants to bless you, it doesn't matter who wants to curse you. Some of you are living in some environments this morning right now where there are people in your life that are trying to curse you. They desire to curse you. They don't like your favor. They don't like you being blessed. They don't like you prospering. They don't like you to be healed. They don't like you to be happy. They literally want to curse you. But I just came to tell somebody this morning, it doesn't matter who's cursing you as long as God is blessing you. Can't get no help. Can't get no help. Some of y'all just haven't been cursed yet. You just hang on. When you pull out in front of somebody this morning, never mind, that's a whole different kind of cursing. So what happens is this. Balaam, since he cannot curse Israel, he devises a scheme and counsels King Balak a different way. He says, I can't curse Israel. God won't let me. So let me tell you what you ought to do. And he gives him this advice. Here's what he says. He says, get the children of Israel to intermarry with your sons and daughters. And what they will do is they will lose their pilgrim nature and they will settle short of possession. Because here's what will happen. When they marry your sons and daughters, they will learn to worship your idols. And when they learn to worship your idols, then what they do will do is they will get involved in sexual immorality and they will never possess their promise. And it worked. He couldn't prophesy, but he could distract. You need to go read Numbers chapter 25 because what happens in Numbers chapter 25 is we are told that the children of Israel set up their dwelling place and they abode short of Canaan. They didn't go into the promise. And the Bible says they committed whoredoms with the daughters of Moab. And it says they sacrificed to the gods of Moab. And then it comes along at the tail end of it and it tells us this. As a result, 24,000 Israelites died in judgment because of being distracted. The ploy and the strategy of the devil was to get the chosen people to settle for less than best. They were to stop short of spiritual fullness and inheritance, to lose their pilgrim nature. May I remind you this morning, those of you that have been with us for a little while, you may not be wearing your alien shirt this morning, but you are in fact aliens. You are strangers. You're nothing more than a, a pilgrim. You are not living for this world. You are just simply passing through. And the enemy recognizes that if distractions could divert the angels of God, and if the distractions could divert the chosen ones of God, then Jude comes along and says, you better be on guard because if he can distract angels and he can distract chosen ones, then he can distract you. He knows that we have been promised life and life more abundantly. And yet the truth is, is that many of us are distracted from that kind of life. In fact, I would ask you some questions. How many of us have stopped short and yet we still claim that we are living the blessed life. I didn't ask you if you were blessed. I know you're blessed. But how many of us have stopped short of being living at the level of blessing that God has for us and we have become so conditioned to not being at the fullest level that we actually stop short and we still call it blessed? 
How many of us were once on a journey to fulfill all that God has called us to and yet now we have become distracted along the way by bills and we become distracted by materialistic things and we become completely and totally distracted by status and we become totally distracted by the cares of life and we become distracted by the love of our life. Oh, I just meddled, didn't I? Some of you are just totally distracted by the love of your life. I'm the love of my life. Yeah, and the love of your life has gotten all your attention and God's no longer in the picture and you don't even know that you're distracted. He couldn't deceive you, but he distracts you. We can't seem to find the strength to push forward to fullness. James must have seen the exact same tactics in his day because James comes in and he weighs into this and he says, you know this passage of scripture, we quote it all the time, we just don't ever embrace it and understand it and, and live this way. But he, say, he says, a double-minded man is unstable in his church life. No. He says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In other words, what he's literally saying is he, say, he says a two-souled man, a, a two-minded man distracted and pulled in a multitude of ways. You can't focus. You can't commit. You're loyal to none, but believe that you're loyal to all. It's a constant internal struggle to walk in one direction. Stability is foreign to you. You're running to and fro. You meet yourself coming and going. Distracted. Anybody ever live there? Don't raise your hand because... Uh, I don't want to point you out. Jesus dealt with that same attack. And I'm going to tell you something. If Jesus addresses something, it's, it must be important. I mean, I'll, I'll listen to Jude. Jude's a good guy. I'll listen to what he's got to say. He's short-winded. I like him. James, short-winded pretty much. like him too. Listen to him. But when Jesus weighs in on the subject, Jesus, on two different occasions, deals with this concept of distraction. The first one is in Luke chapter 21, verse 34. He says, you need to go. This is Jesus now. He says, guard your heart against becoming overcharged. Overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of life. Until that day, what day? His coming comes on you unawares. In other words, let me read it out of the message. I think you'll get it here. He says it like this. He says, but be on your guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled by parties and drinking and shopping. That was a period, not a, pa a comma, but I think I'll pause right there. Otherwise, that day is going to take you by complete surprise and it's going to spring on you suddenly like a trap for it's going to come on everyone, everywhere at once. Jesus recognized that if you're not careful, your entire life will become overcharged with life. In other words, what he's saying, he's literally warning us that if we're not careful, we will become so over-concerned and over-occupied with the problems of life that we will become like the rest of the world and our heart becomes weighted down with this giddiness, this nausea of being, in, uh, 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 being intoxicated by, by cares and distractions. And he says this, he says, you will become lightheaded so that you can't think straight, you can't speak straight, you can't walk straight, and you literally stagger out of your relationship with God simply because you're overcharged, you're distracted. But perhaps the most profound time when Jesus talks about distractions is when somebody comes to him and says, Jesus, could you please tell us how we will know that the end times are, are near. 
Jesus responds like this. He says, you'll know that the days are coming to an end when it's like the days of Noah and Lot. And then he lists out the description of those days. Now, stay with me now. He could have said, but he didn't. He could have listed sins as the sign. When you see these sins running rampant in your world, you'll know that the end is coming. When you see homosexuality promoted and and plastered everywhere and applauded, then you'll know it's the last days. When abortion is normal to us and it doesn't bother us and we don't even realize it's going on or we just sleep through it, then you'll know it's the last days. When, When there's drug abuse and child abuse, then you'll know. He could have listed all that. Didn't list any of it. He lists eight things that should indicate to us that the last days are coming. Listen to what he says. Here they are. Eating. Eating. Any of y'all? Well, never mind. Drinking. Marrying. Giving in marriage. Buying. Selling, building, planning. Come on, Jesus. Really? Yeah. In other words, he's saying this. He's saying, in the days of Noah and Lot, the people weren't consumed by sin. They were consumed by life. Whew. That was worth remembering right there. They, some of you are not consumed by sin. You are literally being consumed by life. It's not wrong. But you're so distracted by life that, that you miss out on the spiritual and you're so overtaken that, they, that, that, that you become overworked and overcharged that judgment comes on you and you don't even know it. So my questions for you this morning, you need to think about these and ask yourself these questions. What are you being distracted by? What is it or who is it that the devil uses to wrap up your mind? What is it or who is it that the devil uses to wrap up your heart? What is it that, what what does he distract you with to cloud your focus and to steal all your energy where you don't have any energy or no time left to give to God? What is it and who is it that he's using to distract you? Some of you are so distracted right now you can't even listen to me because we've been in here longer than 20 minutes. And you're thinking about the to-do list you got to do when you get home. I got to I got to wash my car. Don't do that today. I got to wash my dog cuz I left him outside. I got stuff to do tomorrow. I got this meeting. I got to go shopping. I got to go buy. I got to go see and you can't even give God an hour. Could it, could it be that good things are getting in the, way of, in the way of God things? Here are a few things just, just for free that I think that the enemy uses against God's people to distract us. I'm not going to stay long. I just want you to hear on my, I think he uses desires. It can come in the form of possessions. Uh, our possessions begin to possess us. It could come in the form of desiring uh, acclaim. It could become. It could come in the form of desires and lust. I mean, the Bible's full of those. David, Solomon, Samson. It doesn't. I mean, you, 
desires. What is it that you desire so much that you can't focus on God? Is it that 1941 truck that's lowered? I got a picture of one on my phone. I'll show you that that's all you can think about. And I want that thing so bad. I can't even think about God said to do because I want that 1941 truck lowered flat black paint with a or I want that thing in that cute pair of jeans that just walked by me and I'm so distracted by him or her that I can't I'm preaching distractions could be dreams fulfilled dreams some of you thought you wanted something you dreamed about it now you got it and realize it's a nightmare but it was a dream and it, you thought it would set you free and it has put you in bondage and the devil uses it to distract you it's my dream I got to pursue my some of you have an unfulfilled dream and because you don't think God's coming through for you uh, you're distracted for some of us it's detours and delays because you wouldn't have, you would have never planned your life the way it looks like it does right now the divorce happened the pain happened the sickness happened the brokenness happened and I would have never chosen this hand but now I've been dealt this hand and I'm deterred and I'm delayed and I don't know where God is and so now I'm distracted I can't pray anymore I can't sing anymore I can't dance anymore I'm not raising my I can't witness it because I'm distracted because my life didn't play out like I thought it would decisions good decisions bad decisions he uses them to the one man said it like this he said if the enemy can't deceive you he will try to dilute you by challenging you to attack in all directions at once. God led Israel to conquer Canaan one city at a time. Listen to this. Get this, get this, get this, get this. Breakthrough comes when we narrow focus to a singular objective. And too many of us are so split objective. We're after everything that we get nothing. We are simply distracted in the defeat. We're destroyed by our distractions. I'm almost done. Let me get out of your way and tell you why distractions are so deadly and dangerous. Two things real quickly, and then I'll move out of your way. The first reason that distractions are so dangerous is because the distractions affect our memory. When you become distracted, you forget who you are. When you become distracted, you forget your spiritual identity. We, we, for, we literally forget that we're not of this world. We literally forget that this is not our destination. We literally forget that we don't live for this world, but we live for another. We forget that we are the sons and daughters of God. We forget that we're salt. We forget we're light. We forget that we're leaven. We forget that His approval is the only approval that matters. We forget that what God has done, we try to reflect on what God's done, and we can't even remember because we're distracted distracted and distractions affect our memory to the point that when somebody stands up in a conversation with you or somebody takes a microphone on a Sunday morning and they look at you and they say you're the head not the tail you're the first and not the last you're more than victorious you're more than an overcomer we think all that's pipe dreams that's just pe preacher jargon y'all learn that in Bible college you're supposed to riff that so that it'll get us going we forget who we are And we think it's wishful thinking. He's talking to everybody else on every, all my role except for me. When he talks about we're more than an overcomer, he's, he's certainly talking. I'm so defeated and so distracted. I don't even remember what God, I don't even remember who God's called me to be. It affects our memory. The second thing it does is it, since it, it affects our memory, then what happens is distractions affect our mission. 
Here's what happens. We, we forget who we are, so then we fail to pursue a fresh and active relationship with Jesus. Because see, here it is. Here it is in a nutshell. If you forget you're a soldier, then you forget to fight. And if you forget that you're a prince, you forget to reign. And if you forget you're a joint heir, then, buddy, you'll forget to take possession of what is rightfully yours. If he can affect our memory about who we are, then he can affect our mission, and we don't live up to what he's called us to live up. We settle for yesterday's experience. We settle for yesterday's miracle. We settle for yesterday's manna. And like Samson, we go through the motions and shake ourselves, and we sing the same songs and say the same prayers and repeat the same testimonies, but we never go any deeper because we've forgotten who we are so we don't even remember what we're supposed to be about there's desire but no pursuit so then what happens is since we aren't we don't know who we are and we're distracted we fell in we fell to do anything on our own for our own spiritual good so what we expect to do is we want to show up at church and have somebody spoon feed us because we don't remember what our mission is oh it got quiet right there didn't it because if you don't know who you are, then you won't pursue relationship with Jesus. You won't try to go any deeper. And if you don't know what your mission is, then you don't need to become equipped for that mission. So you just show up at church on Sunday hoping somebody has chewed up enough of the word that they can regurgitate it for you so you won't have to do it for yourself. That's why people on every Sunday morning can go to churches where people are, are doing nothing more than having self-help seminars and throwing Jesus' name into it every once, once in a while. And people will amen them and get on Facebook and say, it's the best thing I've heard. Yeah, except it was milk, and you should have gotten tired of the milk 30 years ago. Now, if you're brand new, don't listen to me, because if you're brand new in the faith, you need some milk. But, baby, if you've been saved more than five years, you ought to be asking for some steak. But we won't do that if we don't know who we are and know why we've been positioned here. I'm preaching. Y'all don't have to amen. I'm amening myself right there. What we do is we become like the disciples. We move our we move our boats. They were fishermen, by the way. They move their boats out of the deep and they anchor them in the shallows and they wash their nets, going through the motions of fishing, but with no heart or hope for a catch. We forget we're on mission. We forget that lives are at stake. We forget that eternity is at stake. Our distraction steals our urgency. We, we begin to worry about maintaining rather than obtaining. We perfect the nets, but we fail to use them. So then when we discover things like this, that 92.5% of all churches are segregated, which, by the way, is less than 10% of the neighborhoods, which is 10% more than neighborhoods and 20% more than public schools. And when you discover that only 2% of all churchgoers have invited anyone to church in the last 12 months, we'll invite them shopping and we'll invite them to Applebee's and we'll invite them to Starbucks, but we won't invite them to church. And it doesn't bother us one bit that our car has four seats and we're the only one that rode in it. I'm preaching. Y'all ain't liking it. I'm preaching it anyway. It ought to bother us that we have failed to do our mission. We have forgotten what our mission is because we've forgotten who we are. Because we're distracted. So what happens is this. We, 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 we get distracted and we aren't inviting anybody to Jesus. We, we've forgotten our mandate because we're not on mission. and We, we think our mandate is carpet color. I know that doesn't happen here because we don't ask. But it still happens. We think our mandate is politics. 
Should you be involved in politics? Yes. Should it be the mandate of your life? No. We think our personal opinion is our mandate. God's given me opinions. Join the club. We all have them. I won't go any further in that statement. <laughs> what is our mission? Can I, can I help you this morning? We've forgotten who we are, so we've forgotten why we're here. I want to tell you why we're here. Very simply, I'm going to get you back on mission right here. You ready? Our mission is to know him. And I like and better. Not or. I've been, I've been stalemated on that commercial. Bed or breakfast. Protect or serve. Sweet or sour. No, I like and better. We are to know him and make him known. If you need a mission in life, and you do, if you want to know why you're here, let me remind you why you're here. To know him. And your mission is to make him known. That is it, period. Don't add anything else to it. That's why we're here. Well, you don't understand. I work at UPS. Newsflash. You're here to know him. And why you deliver boxes, make him known. Well, you don't understand. I work at Burger King. Yeah, and why you're flipping the burgers, you're supposed to know him and make him known. I'm in a cubicle. In your cubicle. I'm a housewife. In your living room. Jude, what are you telling us? Jude is simply saying, don't be distracted. If you're distracted, you will find yourself settling in enemy territory and your distraction will bring you defeat. I am calling you back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, which simply says this. Get this. Fix your eyes. What does that mean? It means become riveted again. Let him become the sole thing that you focus on. Rivet your focus on Jesus. Unwavering in our stare. Undeterred. Undistracted. We get our mind and our attention so focused on God that he is what matters again. New jeans don't matter as much as he does. New house doesn't matter as much as he does. New car doesn't. New, new friends don't matter. No, nothing matters as much as knowing you and helping you to be known. God, I want to make you known to the nations. I want to make you known to my neighbors. I want to make you known to my friends. God, I got to let you be known to my... One last statement and I'll get out of your way. Some of y'all just need to get fixed. You're so distracted, you can't stay focused for one second on what really matters anymore. When you were a teenager, you were fixed on him. When you were a college student, you were fixed on him. Five years ago, you were fixed on him. But the cares of life are crushing you to death and therefore you're distracted and you don't even remember who you are so you don't know why you're here. Know him and make him known. Hey Jude, what you got to say? Don't be 
distracted. Father, this morning, under the sound of my voice, there are folks here that are distracted. It's hard, God. I, honestly, listen, God, I just be straight up honest with you. It's hard. With my phone ringing, my email box going off, text messages. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.